Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. Uh, y'all... I have been working really hard to plan out the uh, kind of first part of the year for the podcast. And instead of sharing what's going on in my own personal world, since I've, I've kind of already shared a lot of what's going on with y'all, I thought I would tell you about what's going to be coming up this season in the uh, interview episodes for the next couple of months, really. So we are going to start off uh, with two episodes from a facility that is new to the podcast. It's a, it's a small place, and they really went all out to welcome me and let me behind the scenes and meet animals and all that kind of stuff. And I think you're going to love the content. So we've got two episodes coming from that facility, which I'm going to keep secret until uh, we release on Tuesday. But then after that, it's the week of Valentine's Day, and I'm bringing back Rasafari after dark this year, uh, featuring a guest many of you loved the last time she was on the pod. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we actually just recorded uh, the, the episode and uh, yeah, there's some really neat content in there. And then after that, we are headed back down to Australia for a few weeks. Sadly, not in person. These are Zoom interviews, but, but you know, we're going to do the thing. Thanks to the connections I've made from the Trainer Talks and Tales podcast and all of the people who started following me and, and reaching out after that, um, I'm going to be bringing you all a series of interviews from down under. Um, and by the way, if you somehow missed all of that collaboration with Trainer Talks and Tales, uh, make sure you get yourself into the uh, the podcast feed and check those out because they, they are some uh, recent favorites amongst fans. And of course, make sure that you are following Tess and Daisy on their journey um, at Trainer Talks and Tales on socials and of course the Trainer Talks and Tales podcast, which I just adore. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to have a series of interviews coming to y'all from Australia. That's going to take up a couple of weeks. We've got some really cool people and some really cool facilities that are going to be debuting on, on Raw Safari and uh, should be a really good time. I know that I have a lot more people in Australia that are listening now. Y'all are actually my uh, second largest audience out outside of the United States, of course, being number one. And uh, I am so excited, as y'all definitely wouldn't say, because I still can't do the dang accent, to uh, be bringing those facilities to the podcast. And, uh, well, after that, uh, I've already got some cool stuff scheduled, including some in-person interviews featuring a mix of new people from favorite facilities, a returning guest with a new and unique story to share, and at least one new facility back here in the States. So, uh, that's going to be really exciting. I'm also currently figuring out my upcoming gig schedule, and there are some really cool potential opportunities to hit new and, uh, returning facilities around the 
the country. All of that is to say, get excited, because 2024 is shaping up to be an incredible year for the podcast. Or the potty, as my Aussie friends call it. Potty. Like potty. I I guess that really does tie into our theme, especially since we have a poop story. Poop story. Theme. But I do digress. Uh, We're going to get to this. And actually, uh, I mentioned recently that uh, I've been working on setting up my studio and I have my little podcast nook now. And actually, the studio is set up. I still need to do some stuff when I get more microphones up here. They're living in another place right now. But the actual studio itself is up. I did post pictures of it on socials yesterday, if anyone's interested. But uh, I mentioned that having the new studio would allow us to quickly create some more new songs for uh, for this very podcast. And uh, here's one of them now. There you have it, folks. Me and Taylor Gray doing our thing. Aren't y'all lucky? Uh, Anyway, so let's start off with uh, some notable births from the week. Um, Disney's Animal Kingdom has welcomed cotton top tamarind triplets. Now, cotton top tamarinds are one of the relatively few species in which both mom and dad share parenting duties. And so, uh, so far, the, the family is thriving together. You can actually see the entire family on exhibit it now on Discovery Island at Disney's Animal Kingdom. A very cool story from our friends at the very cool Odyssey Aquarium, where six sandbar sharks were born recently. I I feel like there's a lot of alliteration going on right now. We've got our six sandbar sharks, and we've got our cotton top tamarind triplets. Anyway, uh, six sandbar sharks were born at Odyssey recently, and the coolest thing about this story is that the sharklets, which are actually called pups, were born on exhibit, and you can go to the Odyssey social pages to see video of uh, some of the birth process, which is kind of amazing to watch, honestly. So I, I highly recommend that you check that out. And then a female lesser kudu calf, or kudlet, was recently born at the Cincinnati Zoo. When vets and keepers did not see any nursing behaviors or any maternal interest from the first-time mother, they intervened and set up a temporary nursery to provide nutrition and warmth to the calf, though they do hope that they will be able to reunite it with its mother at a later date. There is currently a naming contest going on with Maisie or Fern as potential names. Now, you can go and vote for free on the Cincinnati Zoo social media pages for whichever name you prefer. I am always grateful for these stories of intervention by the incredibly attentive keepers and vets that take care of so many different animals and so many better known and, and charismatic animals, but but still notice these things and, and really care and, and are able to uh, step in when they need to. So amazing work from the Cincinnati Zoo, which is, you know, not at all surprising. Of course, that moves us on to the more somber section where we talk about some uh, recent notable deaths. Uh, 
Uh, and, you know, this first one's a doozy. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, sometimes I just don't envy the decisions veterinarians have to make. And uh, this story is one of those times. The Living Desert in California has announced the passing of Natalia, a 19-year-old Grevy's zebra. Natalia started presenting with severe lameness, leaving her unable to stand up without extreme distress and difficulty. The condition was determined to be irreversible and unable to be medically managed, so the decision was made to humanely euthanize Natalia. However, what made this more challenging is that Natalia was in a late-term pregnancy at the time the decision was made. As such, the veterinary and animal care teams made sure she was as comfortable as possible and then performed an emergency C-section to remove the baby before euthanizing mom. The C-section itself was a success, as was the euthanasia, but the foal was born too prematurely to survive and truly thrive. After assessing the baby and realizing that it could never lead a full, normal, and healthy life, the vets made the decision to euthanize it as well. Now, that's a tough day at the office for sure. So, sending love to the team for making what was absolutely the right call and uh, for having to deal with all that loss and then hope and then loss again. But, you know, the story does stand out to me as an amazing example of the lengths vets will go to for their animals. All right, we'll be back after this quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. Our friends at the National Aviary in Pittsburgh have announced the unexpected passing of Benito, the male hyacinth macaw. Benito was an incredible bird I had the chance to meet when I did my episode from the aviary, and he was just a, a very huge and, and very loud personality. Uh, I'm not the only celebrity to have bonded with Benito, as he was featured on an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, I'm joking about me being a celebrity, but that is a big deal right there. Benito passed away from an aneurysm, and as is often the case when that happens, there were no symptoms or advanced notice, so this is an especially hard loss for the team. Benito's mate, Safira, is a confident and gregarious bird who seems to be transitioning to widowhood well, but aviary staff is being careful to monitor her and make sure that all is well. Sending love to the entire team. Utah's Hogel Zoo has announced the natural passing of Malenka, one of the beloved snow leopards at the zoo. She lived to 15 and a half years old, which is beyond the life expectancy for the species. She had unique vocalizations and was known for being very sassy right until the end. 
With her adorable smile and her star-crossed eyes, Malenka was a beloved member of the Hogel Zoo family for keepers and guests alike, and inspired many people to fall in love with the species and become educated about the threats they face in the wild. She will be greatly missed. And then last in our deaths this week, Charlotte the koala has passed away at her home at Riverbanks Zoo in South Carolina. Sadly, she contracted a respiratory infection and died from complications related to it. Uh, Now, last year, you may remember that Charlotte became a mom to Kira, who will continue Charlotte's legacy at the zoo, uh, along with Kira's dad, Cody. Sending gratitude to the team that took care of Charlotte for all of the incredible care they gave her through her life. And of course, that moves us on to our normal Zoo News segment. And we have to start this segment with a big hearty congratulations to the Rossafari family, because we did it again! Adventure Aquarium has announced the name of their new octopus, and it is Phantom! The best part of this is that I know from an inside source that before we started voting, Phantom was not the name that was winning. But we got Phantom over the top, and that makes me so happy. We keep the Rossafari naming streak alive. And, um, you know, on a side note here, being serious for a minute, I've had more than a few people reach out to me and ask me why I think I should get to pick the names for all these animals by setting up all of the listeners and followers on socials to vote. Well, I can't tell you the answer officially, which should tell you something in and of itself. But I will say this. I would never do anything on this podcast that wasn't in the interest of the communities I serve. Uh, All I will say about it is that I feel confident that the staff at the facilities I have helped name their animals have always been extremely happy with the results. Now, you can extrapolate from that what you will, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But let's just say that I often don't have the strongest opinions myself. We'll We'll just leave it at that. All right, so now we have to become a little less serious, actually a lot less serious. Um, We're going to turn back to the ongoing saga of the Natural Bridge Zoo in Virginia. So to bring you up to speed, in case you don't remember, we mentioned a while ago that the zoo was raided for neglect and all kinds of bad stuff. And then last week, we followed up saying that the zoo was in court trying to get its animals back, with experts testifying that the zoo was fine, though... Admittedly, they were experts that had not been to the zoo until after the raid, if at all. Uh, Well, the judge has ruled on what is going to happen to the animals, and in a surprise twist, both sides are unhappy and are appealing the decision. That's not something you hear every day, but let me explain. The judge decided the case differently from animal to animal. The judge upheld the seizure of 56 of the animals at the zoo, stating that the animals were in awful conditions. This includes the four giraffes, which have actually remained at the zoo during this time, despite conditions that are, you know, supposedly bad enough for them to be seized. But um, the, the people who showed up and did the raid didn't have anything that would properly moved giraffes at the time. So they've just been living there even though they have been seized, but they weren't like physically removed. Um, yeah. So anyway, the state is now pushing to finally get control of these giraffe in light of the judge's decision. 
However, the judge has also ruled that 39 other animals that had been seized should be returned to the zoo. Now, this includes lemurs, exotic birds, reptiles, hoofed livestock, and a dog. The zoo's attorney is appealing the decision, stating that the judge's ruling shows that, quote, 40 to 45 animals were wrongfully seized, so the state clearly messed up and didn't know what it was doing, so all the animals should be returned. Now, the actual number was 39, but I guess 40 to 45 sounds better. Uh, The state is also appealing, asking that the cases of the 39 animals that are supposed to be returned instead go to a jury trial, pointing out that if the facility was negligent in its handling of 56 animals, no animals should be returned to face the same potential fate. As for me, I am flabbergasted by this result. How the heck can a judge decide that a uh, facility mishandled many exotic animals? But it's probably totally fine to have other ones. Sending lemurs to a place that you're saying can't handle giraffes makes no sense to me. I also have to assume that the judge is not an animal welfare expert, and thus is not qualified to make decisions on each individual animal or species. Look, at the bottom line here, either the zoo is a roadside zoo and should be treated as such, or it's a fine facility that should be given back its animals and allowed to keep taking good care of them. This split decision is so frustrating to me. And I'm also curious as to what grounds the judge used to make each decision, especially given the fact that one of the experts who testified on behalf of the zoo was a giraffe expert who specifically stood up for the care of the giraffes. Now, again, this is someone who hadn't actually seen the care of the giraffes until after the raid, but, you know, whatever. Um, So, yeah, I'm not really sure what is going on here, and I kind of feel that the same is true of the judge. All I know for certain is that we'll keep following the next steps of the saga, and I desperately hope that the animals in question end up with the best possible outcome. Because at the end of the day, to me, this isn't about property rights or individual freedoms or anything other than what is best for the animals in question. The fact that the judge doesn't seem to have a consensus for all of the animals, uh, I don't know, that just doesn't sit well with me. It's a bit of a frightening proposition. So hopefully that gets figured out in the near future. Now on a happier note, the Cincinnati Zoo continues to impress me, not only for the amazing animal care they provide, but also for their commitment to sustainability and ecological practices that are frankly leading the industry. They have currently closed off one of the paths at the zoo because they are working on separating their sewer lines from their stormwater lines. The goal here is to be able to allow the stormwater to be filtered and reused in animal habitats and for irrigation. It will also help prevent any possibility of combined stormwater and sewage uh, from flooding into local waterways during flooding events. So that's cool. Just an incredible initiative from the Cincinnati Zoo. Oh, and while we are on the subject of Cincy, this week saw Fiona the Hippo turn seven years old with a wonderful birthday party, which was live-streamed and is available to be watched on the Cincy social media channels. Um, And actually, as a final note from the Cincinnati Zoo, it seems that Black Bear Ridge, the new area the zoo has been working on for a while now, has been delayed until 2025. 
The area they are revamping apparently took a lot more time to clear out than had been expected, and supply chain issues are further slowing down construction. So the area is coming along and is going to be absolutely amazing and state-of-the-art when it does drop. Can you really say an area at a zoo drops? Ugh, I'm such a nerd. Anyway, but it looks like uh, that will be sometime in 2025 now. And of course, the zoo has updated their signage to reflect that fact. Wildlife Safari is teaming up with the University of California Santa Cruz and Washington State University to conduct a study on African lions' energy and caloric demands. The goal is to better understand the biological drive to hunt in lions and hopefully to shed light on the factors influencing how they hunt and also what causes human-animal conflict for the species. The study is going to use a specially designed treadmill inside a metabolic chamber that will analyze oxygen consumption and caloric expenditure with video also taken and then analyzed to determine step counts used at different speeds. Sheesh, even lions now have to try to reach 10,000 steps a day. Uh, anyway, if you happen to get out to Oregon, 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 Oregoni, anyway, uh, and go to Wildlife Safari, you can actually witness the training of lions on the treadmills as they get ready for this research project, which I think is amazing. Uh, once the data is crunched and understood, the second part of this project will begin, uh, which involves collaring wild lions with smart wildlife collars, which will then compare the data from the zoo-based lions with their wild counterparts. Hopefully, all of this data will combine to create a better understanding of lions in general, and will be able to guide conservation efforts in the future and also reduce conflict with humans in Africa. What a cool study. Zoo Boise has announced that 14-year-old snow leopard Kabita has been diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma, which is a type of oral cancer. The cancer has spread to her bones as well, and at this point is considered untreatable. The zoo's vet team and animal care managers are working with an outside oncologist to determine the best treatment plan for Kabita at this point. They have started her on electrochemotherapy and believe that additional treatments may extend her life while providing her with a good quality of life, which obviously matters much more than the extending part. And, you know, of course, they know that. I admire the transparency of the zoo so much in announcing this uh, early on in the process and send my best wishes to the team for the most successful outcome possible for this sweet, sweet girl. On a happier note, the San Diego Zoo Safari Park is being awesome as always. This time, they have taken in three baby spider monkeys after they were confiscated by U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agencies during an illegal smuggling attempt at the U.S.-Mexico border. At the time of the rescue, the monkeys were in really bad shape, suffering from uh, malnourishment and, you know, other medical issues as one would expect. They were taken to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, where they were given critical care and are all now expected to not only survive, but to thrive. The monkeys have been moved to a habitat at the Safari Park, where they will be able to grow and live happy lives, while guests get to watch them grow up and also be educated about the dangers of the illegal wildlife trade. 
And, um, you know, the zoo actually like went ahead and, and basically redesigned and created a new habitat for these monkeys. So talk about going from a bad situation to basically living at the animal Ritz Carlton. I just, I love that so much. Now, um, as a fun side note, I, I try to leave politics mostly off of this podcast. It's hard, but uh, I have actually seen some of my right-wing friends use this story as proof that the U.S.-Mexico border is ridiculously unsafe and that the federal government and federal agencies are failing in their job to secure the border because even spider monkeys are crossing the border illegally and getting away with it. And like, look, I, I get that People like to use anything they see to reinforce their own political biases. I have literally seen some of these same people putting forth the notion that Taylor Swift is a left-wing psyop, whatever that means, because she is popular and encourages people to vote. (laughs) Evil woman, right? But uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, don't use a story with a happy ending and where the bad guys were caught at the border and taken care of and where the animals that were being transported were confiscated and saved as proof that the government isn't doing these things because they they did the thing. This is a story about the government doing the thing. So, you know, just just my two cents. Just just trying to help. <clears throat> anyway, I digress. So last week, we talked about how you can name a roach or a veggie or a cricket or something like that after an ex to help you celebrate Valentine's Day. Well, for the less cynical people in my audience, there there are some less cynical people in my audience, right, guys? Right, right? Y'all are here? Ah, well, okay. Um, Well, maybe some of you are just being quiet. Uh, Anyway, the Columbus Zoo is doing something absolutely adorable this Valentine's Day. You can get a video message made for your sweetheart of one of the zoo's penguin pairs receiving a heart representing your love. The heart will be kept by the lovebirds and used in the construction of their nest. The price is $50, and for an additional $15, you can personalize the heart with a message of your own. Helping penguins and buying a unique gift? Yes, please. And hey, speaking of penguins, our friends at Penguins International are at it again. March of the Penguin Madness will be taking place in March again, and the deadline to nominate a penguin from your facility is February 25th. This is a great way to introduce a wider audience to your most popular penguins and to raise awareness about an incredible penguin conservation organization while doing so. Plus, Katie Prop says that if I get enough people to register, she'll give me my dogs back. So please, please go nominate your penguins and save Paradiddle and Flam. You can find the link to nominate your penguins uh, by going to the social media pages of Penguins International. And to close out our Zoo News section this week, well, everyone loves a good sequel, right? Uh, So remember the story from way back in 2020 about some parrots at Lincolnshire Wildlife Center who had to be removed from public display because they had learned foul language and were repeating it? Well, it's happening again at the same facility. Three parrots named Eric, Captain, and Sheila have recently been donated to the zoo, and all three have an absolutely disgusting vocabulary. 
So much so that they are considered to be more vulgar than the original five birds that had to be separated from the public and the rest of the flock. Uh, The fact that one of the new birds is named Eric and one of the old birds is also named Eric is probably a coincidence, but you do with that what you will. So now Lincolnshire Wildlife Center has eight parrots with naughty mouths or beaks, and they have decided that the best way to curb the condition is to let societal pressures alleviate the issue. I'm kidding, kind of, but what the facility is planning to do is to put the eight foul fowl in with 92 other parrots in the hopes that the naughty birds will pick up on the vocabulary and other noises used by the other birds and that the naughty words will naturally fade from use as these new sounds are learned. Keep in mind that the parrots don't know they are cursing. They are just repeating sounds they have heard and learned. So this isn't the same as like trying to curb a teenager's dirty mouth or like a drummer's dirty mouth. Um, This reveal also will make for better bird welfare as parrots are social animals and do better when uh, they're with a large flock. Now, that said, there is a risk here. The other birds could actually learn the swear words as well, to the point that the aviary could literally house 100 cursing citizens. Okay, and with all due respect to Lincolnshire Wildlife Center, that's what I'm going to hope happens, uh, because that alone will be worth the price of a ticket to the UK for a visit. Um, as a side note, I do know that uh, parrots aren't foul, but I simply could not pass up saying foul foul because, well, I'm me and y'all know me well enough to know that. On a side note to the side note, I, I was talking to a friend uh, today, actually, shortly before I, I recorded this, and um, the, the friend in question uh, has a, a lovely daughter who you may or may not have actually heard from on the podcast before. And um, this this wonderful child got in trouble at school for writing, I'm a naughty pelican. Now, this is this is like a young girl. This is not anything weird and creepy. Um, I don't fully understand why she got in trouble for that. I'm not even sure that the the, the staff understands. But I'm just gonna gonna I'm just gonna say this. Look, in in a world where vulgarities are constant and where, you know, thanks to the internet and stuff, um, people have access to all kinds of stuff. I I stand with the naughty pelican. I think that if you want to say that, especially about yourself, but if you want to say naughty pelican, you have all the rights in the world to say that. So I for one stand with the naughty pelican. And and you can take that to the grave. Heck, let's be honest. I basically am a naughty pelican. I, I'm, I'm all right. I'm going to drop this now, but but I stand with the naughty pelican. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring it to conservation news. All right. So one of the ongoing stories in the world of conservation, and thus on this podcast, is the quest to save the northern white rhinoceros from extinction. 
Now, as you probably know, only two still exist on the planet, both female and a mother and daughter to boot, so mating is not exactly an option here. Instead, researchers have been working diligently to preserve eggs and sperm cells from this subspecies in the hope of creating embryos and using embryo transfer to create northern white rhinos that are then born from surrogate southern white rhino mothers. Well, this plan has just seen a major step forward as the first ever successful embryo transfer in a rhino has taken place. There is a caveat, however. The embryo grew for 70 days and was a healthy and well-developed 6.4-centimeter-long male when the mother caught a bacterial infection, which ended both the mother's life and that of the potential rhinelet. The bacterial infection had nothing to do with the procedure, uh, but when the mother passed away, scientists were able to examine her, and that's when they actually discovered the pregnancy. This was successful enough that the team involved is confident in repeating the procedure, this time using one of the white rhino embryos they have created to start to try to restock the population. So uh, this is huge news and, and something I've been eagerly awaiting for a long time. And uh, while some of the team cautions that, you know, the fact that this did not go to term is is worth noting and that it could be considered more proof of concept than a true success story. I mean, it's pretty darn impressive and sounds like that next step is definitely coming sooner rather than later. So that's pretty darn amazing. Cold stunning season is upon us. Now, this is the time of year where sea turtles are found cold stunned, a condition in which the water temperature drops quickly and leaves the turtles alive, but in an almost comatose state, kind of catatonic. Uh, when this happens, rescues jump in and grab the turtles, warming them up, rehabilitating them, and then releasing them back into the wild when the waters warm up or releasing them into waters that are warm enough for the turtles, like transporting them to warmer waters. This year, the season is off to a very forceful start as temperatures have been all over the place. A lot of facilities are announcing record starts to their season, and photos have flooded the internet of entire rooms of facilities that are usually used for non-turtle things being emptied out to provide additional space for all of the turtle patients. The people doing this work are such amazing humans, and it's inspiring to see the steps they are taking to save the unexpectedly high number of turtles in need this year. Of course, more patients also mean more costs, so take some time to see if you have a local sea turtle rescue that you can support at this time, or just hop on the Google, or on Instagram, or whatever, and search to see what sea turtle rescues need your help. There are honestly so many out there that for me to try to name them all would be crazy, and I don't want to play favorites and just name one or two, but go find people, go help the people who help the turtles, because it's amazing. A new paper has been published that looks at the effect of reduced speed limits in helping save the right whale population. The study shows that boats maintaining a 10 knot per hour speed limit in waters where collisions would be possible do a great job of avoiding these tragedies. The study backs what a lot of conservationists have been claiming for years, which is that uh, 80% of boat strikes suffered by this species happen when the boat is traveling at an illegal speed. And that includes the calf that was struck last week. Now, if people just slow down 
and follow the speed limits in these waters, the right whale population will have a significantly better chance of survival. And uh, actually, as a happy side note here, the calf we discussed last week has actually been seen again and is still alive and showing signs of the boat strike wounds healing. So this may be the rare example of a time when a calf uh, survives a boat strike, which is some awesome news to share after the sad story of the strike last week. In our recent episode with the Wolf Conservation Center, we had some discussions about what is needed to save wolves out in the wild, and it turns out that some of the steps we discussed as possibilities are actually happening with the red wolf population in North Carolina. Some of the wolves are not only collared, but four portable electronic message boards have been purchased that are able to be set up on roads uh, when red wolf populations get too close to said roads, letting drivers know that they need to slow down for the wildlife crossings. The collars used are also being fitted with a reflective orange material that will help drivers see the wolves from a greater distance. So it's actually really cool to see these steps being uh, put into place to try to save the wolves in North Carolina. And now we have a conservation news poop story. Poop story. Antarctic researchers have recently discovered four new colonies of emperor penguins. The way they did so was by using satellite imagery to spot poop stains on the pristine white landscape of Antarctica. And again, these are satellites, meaning these poop stains were big enough to be visible from space, which was the exact concern that I had when I was growing up, which led me to switch from tidy whities to boxer shorts. TMI? Anyway, this is one of those discoveries that is really cool, but is also hard to pinpoint, like, the exact impact that it will have. The numbers of birds discovered aren't enough to change the fact that the species is incredibly endangered. Also, the colonies have likely existed for years, just without our knowledge. It brings the number of emperor penguin colonies we know of from 62 to 66 and gives us a slightly better understanding of the total population of the birds. But beyond that, this is one of those really cool stories that I don't quite know the impact of yet. But maybe it will have one, especially from a research perspective. And regardless, I know the entire Rossafari community loves a good poop story. Poop story. In other news. All right. So a melanistic tiger was recently spotted on camera traps in India, and it is a sight to behold. The tiger basically looks like a normal tiger if someone was dumb enough to spill a can of black paint along its back. The entire back is pure black, with the color running down as stripes down the flank of the tiger. It, it literally looks like a, a spilled can of paint. Uh, I highly recommend that you Google melanistic tiger to see the images, because it really is a sight to behold. And hey, tiger keepers that are listening right now, I'm just saying, for the price of a can of paint, you too could be making zoo news and having photos go viral. I kid, I kid. <clears throat> Probably. Uh, anyway, and last but not least in other news, as most of you probably know, I am a big football fan and specifically a fan of the Baltimore Ravens, who will be playing in the AFC Championship game this Sunday with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Uh, 
And this alone counts as animal news because, well, ravens are animals. I love Corvids. But this story isn't about the incredible Baltimore Ravens team or how amazing they are or how much I'm rooting for them. Go Ravens! Woo! Bum, 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 bum. <clears throat> I'm sorry. What, what was I saying? Oh, right. So this past week, the Buffalo Bills lost their playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs, sending the Chiefs to the AFC Championship game, where I fully expect they will be destroyed by the incredible Baltimore Ravens. Go Ravens! Woo! Bah, bah, bah. Oh, wait. Mm. Sheesh. <laughs> Sorry. I keep getting distracted. Uh, anyway, the Bills had a chance to tie the game late with a field goal attempt that sailed wide right, much to the chagrin of Bills fans, the city of Buffalo, and most of all to the chagrin of Tyler Bass, the kicker who missed the field goal. And no, I'm not claiming this is an animal story just because his last name is Bass. It's a fish. But uh, instead, the cool thing uh, that Bills fans have done is to show their support for the kicker by donating over $100,000 to a local cat charity that Tyler Bass supports. In a world where a lot of people treat celebrities and athletes as anything but human, and where one mistake can often lead those people to uh, being bashed mercilessly and just kind of tormented in public and everything— I thought that was a really classy move by Bills fans. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed by that. Uh, but still. Go Ravens! Woo! Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, so that brings us to our animal holidays for the week. And um, we're starting off in January, but by the time this week is over, we're actually going to be in February. So uh, a quick reminder, January is not like a month with its own animal. Um, and there still aren't a lot of holidays in January, which is why it drives me crazy that Sunday the 28th is both World Jeffrey's Cat Day and Rattlesnake Appreciation Day. Y'all, the 26th was free, the 27th was free, the 29th was free, the 30th was free. Come on. I know I keep harping on this, but I feel like we could do a better job of this. Anyway, that brings us to Wednesday the 31st, which is International Zebra Day. And that brings us to February, which is many animal months, making up for January for sure. We have National Bird Feeding Month, International Hoof Care Month, Fishing Cat February, and Adopt a Rescue Rabbit Month. And then, uh, really, we only have one day this week in February, which is February 1st, which is Serpent Day, and the National Day of the Mexican Axolotl, which is just a great name. I mean, Axolotl is a great name, but also National Day of the Mexican Axolotl. I love it. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, so there you have it, folks. Another week of Raw Safari Zoo News is done. And uh, I'd like to remind y'all that you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash And for as little as $3 a month, you get access to some cool bonus audio from time to time and uh, some extra weird stuff for me every once in a while. And uh, you'll you'll get to hear me thank you periodically for, for saying things like, hey, thank you to all of my patrons for supporting the podcast. 
And of course, if you become a Red Panda level patron, you'll get to hear your name said in every episode when I say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons. In this case, we're talking about Dr. Laura Shank, Dr. Stephen Williamson, Barbara Bennett, and Jenny Owens. And of course, I'd uh, like to thank everyone who contributed stories this week. Don't forget, you can send me zoo news worthy things, and I will thank you by saying your name at the end of the episode. This week, we've had contributions from Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley Croninger, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams. Uh, Kevin Williams, by the way, we're going to pause. He does this really adorable thing where Kevin actually collects uh, stories for me throughout the week and then sends me a digest, emails it to me, rasafaripod at gmail.com, with the weekly zoo news that he has found. And it's it's really sweet and adorable. But then the thing that cracks me up in a very, like, appreciated way is immediately after he sends me that, I think he then goes and looks for extra stories on Instagram and just sends those to me as well. So I get this digest followed immediately by more Zoo News. And I'm like, this is so much Zoo News. And ah, Kevin, I just appreciate the effort so much. So thank you, sir. I really appreciate you. Uh, But anyway, um, moving on with the list, uh, Ren Howell, Matt Patford, Joy Cothamer, Taylor Isaac Gray, Emily Rockbuck, Ali Malensky, Kay Malensky, the Malenskys. I could not hit that note. Wow. Uh, anyway, Dr. Laura Shank, Natalie Berry, Elizabeth Vickery, Cassie Light, Michael Sebastian, Ken Tryon, Ali Gesner, and Missy R on TikTok. Missy, I'm sorry I didn't have time to message you and get your name before I recorded this after I saw it, but thank you for tagging me in the thing. Plus, like, Missy R, right? I mean, that's, that's what you go by, Miss, Missy R. So, yeah. Anyway, I want to thank you all so much. This has been such a fun episode for me. I hope you all enjoyed it. I'll see you back here on Tuesday with the new facility. And uh, remember, friends, the words, newsy credits backwards, are Snyder Kiss One. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. The second part of this project, uh, it's... it's, it's boo, boo.